It is time to tune up the band and say bro an obscene amount of times, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, as ever, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hiya, chaps. How are we doing today? Hello. Hello. Oh, me, oh, my. Oh, me, oh, my is my only phrase for today. It's going to be a doozy of an episode. Yeah, Yeah, you can say that for true. (laughs) And also, I'm feeling a little delirious considering how much of a busy week I've had. (laughs) That's what I keep saying. I'm just there. Um, Like I was was talking to my girlfriend about how I need to go and just buy, like just do some shopping. Mm. And just every time I've left work, I've just been like, you know, I just can't be bothered. Oh, and I, I just uh, stared at my computer yesterday, like bringing up the notes. I was like, "Wait, what have I been doing? Wait, it's Saturday." <laughs> you do. You just get there and you're just like, "Oh, it's like Friday evening." Yep. I haven't even noticed any of the time going. I don't even know what day it is at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it's felt like for me. I'm hoping you've had a much more lax week, Reardon. Um. Kind of, sort of, maybe. <laughs> Put an asterisk next to that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, alrighty. We, as ever, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, always be pending, bruh. Always <laughs> be pending. And that's all I, I can like, really say. I was like, bro. I was going to say, was pending, and it was the the. It was just the best, bro. Are we, I was going to say, which one of us is going to try and do the accent? And I see it's Dan's already beaten us to the punch. I'm, I'm not going to try. No. I am not going to try. I'm not going to try purely for the basis that I kind of get the feeling that Vince will probably listen to this. <laughs> Look, right, it was going to happen eventually. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry, Vids. <laughs> as ever as well, over on patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag if you'd like to support us in any way, shape, or form. Exclusive stuff over on our Discord server, day early releases of the episodes, and of course, we have our very first stretch goal of watching the entire 2001 season of the XFL. Yeah, we all have other uh, stretch goals coming soon, including other infamously bad pay per views. Um, another infinitely weird stuff. Absolutely. As as, as ever, patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag. So, a very, a very um, looked forward to episode by at least one of us, Reardon, <laughs> we got going for this week. But before we get to talking about Vince Russo, it's time to take a little quick detour for Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. Wrestling news. <laughs> I'd say quick. Yeah, I mean, look, right, as quick as we can normally be. <laughs> I mean, so obviously there's like a whole bunch of various bits of news from across the wrestling world. Honestly, too much that I can actually reasonably keep up with at this point. True. Um, so, honestly, the the main thing I want to do right now is just give a huge shout out to the, uh, the people over at Terminus. Mm-hmm. Uh, launching everything 
So they've now released their rule set, which is basically just like an even more extended version of ROH Pure Rules. Yeah. I'm here for it, really. Oh, absolutely. You know a company that's kind of being uh, being helmed by Jonathan Gresham? You know it was going to go one of two ways, and I'm glad it went the way I think everybody wanted it to go. Yeah. Um, exciting. My favorite, my favorite thing about it, though, is just the, the count-outs are five seconds. Yes. It's like, you ain't fighting outside. You get, your, you get your ass back in this ring. Um, as I said, uh, as much as I'm not incredibly excited about certain people being in that on that card for the very first show, I mean, yeah, that's that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing in itself. I am excited for this um, purely because I think it's it's safe to say that we're all massive fans of Jonathan Gresham, and we only hope that he has. I mean, he's I mean, consistently been one of the best performers in America. So he's 2022 can only go up and mm-hmm. up. Um, I, I I wish nothing but the best for Gresham because I think he's gonna he's really gonna come into his own now as the uh, as the as the touring Ring of Honor World Champion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because um, honestly, though the big the biggest bit of news that I've really been following, and I really hate that I've been following it, <laughs> <laughs> is again all like the discourse around. Um, so obviously, if people don't know, uh, there was the whole like press release or whatever they WWE did to. It was really random. I think it was like a, a newspaper in Toronto or something. Yeah. Where they were like, um, "Oh, the 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 street fight between Ty Conti and Ada Jay and then Penelope Ford and the Bunny." Um. It's like too violent and there's too much blood and stuff and it's just like not what it should be about. Apparently, wasn't there a, a word and they say that it was not advertiser friendly as well? Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, try which, to... obviously, which obviously just puts out the whole thing of now when you're there and people go, I'd love for WWE to go back to like Attitude Era stuff. And I'm like, the advertisers won't allow it, would they? No, no. <laughs> There's part of me that's going like, uh, well, I mean, you could tell you could tell Domino's that. I mean, but they did advertise themselves during Nick Gage versus Chris Jericho. <laughs> this is like, it's like I know like I get what I get where people are coming from with it. Yeah. And I do get aspects of it or think their thing like I mean, to be fair, a lot of the points people were making that I agreed with were really far abstracted from the original point. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Talking about talking about stuff like how having not like indiscriminate bleeding in matches, but like obviously having too much of something is bad. Mm. But like, I feel like that's more just a general statement and just not about the match itself. Here's my question to you. Why was this never brought up during Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa's match uh, from 2020? Because I'd hazard to say that that was just as violent. I I think the biggest thing with it is it's it's just becoming another, like, proxy for people who are in the the depths of the tribalism to be like, look, my company does this, your company does that. 
Mm. My company has matches where we see people bleed, and your company has matches that are decided by the advertisers and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't, I don't feel like I need to reiterate this fact that I just find the idea of tribalism in wrestling just so confusing. <laughs> Especially when the goalposts get shifted. On it's an not almost even the goalposts. It's not even the goalposts, though. Like. It, it, it's this it's the stuff about people being like oh well actually this company you know did this and i'm just like i can tell you that no other person in the world does this i've never met another i've never met like a football fan who's gone like oh actually though my team sells more tickets than your team yeah like, nah. you'd sound so weird head talking oh, like that could you imagine if like an arsenal and chelsea fan were both together and said well my, well my stadium's bigger than your stadium oh, well, my tickets like, are like could, could you could you imagine right if you were at a football game right and i don't know let's say it was like <laughs> let, let's say right just for this all intents and purposes right it's arsenal versus west ham mm. could you imagine if like the arsenal fans started trying we sell more tickets than you I mean, I, you would I, get I, you would get laughed out the stadium. Yes, you really would. It'd be incredible. If I, I if I if I was with my mates, right, and I went, well, actually, Arsenal are a better team because we sell more tickets to games. They would look at me like I just started speaking fluent Chinese. <laughs> I mean, it would. I mean, I think you'd get audible confusion if you just because he's so revered and so loved, and people want him back. If if the whole Arsenal crowd starts chanting "Ian Wright, Ian Wright," just like with see, this Punk. is what like like, and so people go on all this all this stuff about like what the companies do, and I know I sound so old hat just being like, look. Your kids get off my Just property. enjoy what you like. Yes. It's not that deep. <laughs> oh, great. Like, and uh, so to, all right, so to, to use the thing that I use to explain to people that don't watch wrestling, right? My my kind of... The, the example I use is like a soap opera, right? Mm-hmm. You are never going to see a person watching one be like, I can't believe that person went from EastEnders to Emmerdale. <laughs> no one's ever going to start a fuss on that. My God, it's the Dangles in Coronation Street. Like, oh, you know God. what I mean? <laughs> Although, could I you, would could love you, that. Could you imagine, right, if you had fans of soaps being like, well, actually, EastEnders did, uh, did a 1.5 in the 18 to 49 demo. <laughs> that's gotta be, that's gotta be Danny Dyer. Yeah. Like, you know, like, do you, like, I just say to you, like, do you realize how you sound? Yeah. No, the answer like, is no, they don't. Like, they're, like, they're, like, there are, are serious points that we can talk about, like, wrestling as a form. Mm-hmm. Because again, right, it obviously comes down to what you like, what, what you enjoy and what you watch wrestling for. Hmm. And like, like we've had many a time, Sam. We've been on like other stuff, right? Yeah. Where we've been said mentioned like a match that we really like, and people have been like, "Oh, I don't know that," or whatever, right? Or hmm. I, I watched it, I don't like it. 
Like, if you're there and you... Because, again, this is a thing I've had to confront a couple of times. Mostly with middle-aged white men. <laughs> well, you said it. Okay. Probably I mean... It, 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 it's the it's the facts of my experience yeah it's true. where i i give them something like slightly outside their bar of cultural reference and they just collapse <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's... and so i'm there and i'm like hey you might be in like because i can't remember who it was there was there was someone that asked me once for like recommendations for matches. I can't I can't remember who it was. Mm. It was at some point like last year. I want to say like the start of last year. Someone was like, "Hey, I'm doing a thing about like matches people enjoy or whatever, or some like you know like lesser known matches that people will enjoy." And so I I can't remember again. I can't remember exactly which one, but I sent in some match, and he was like, "Why would you send me this?" And I'm like, you ask for matches that I like. <laughs> there we go. It's not about matches you like. If you if you want me to send matches I think you'd like, that's a different question. <laughs> <laughs> Just we are two. We are two very different. We are two different people. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's it's like what I say about other stuff. So be, being being a music fan, I enjoy metal, right? Mm. But I also understand that there are lots of people out there that don't enjoy that mm-hmm. for their own reasons. <clears throat> Just in the same way that I don't, I'm not like the biggest fan of like, for example, top forty pop. It does. It just doesn't appeal to me in the same way. <laughs> and like, like I don't know if you can. Again, I don't know if people know this, but like, you can hold those two things together. And that, like I can be there and say, well, I don't really like this thing, but I appreciate what goes into making it, even if it's not for me. It's that comes back to that old adage again. It's like there is something for everybody. You just don't have to, don't feel like you need to have a need to just dump on the things that don't appeal to you because they appeals to someone. Oh, I was just saying to people that you like don't feel the need to like. There's no point trying to police the form. Hmm. Exactly. I mean, again. I mean, again. There's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of gatekeeping and stuff, and yeah, we won't get again, into that because that could. That's we're, not, we're not gonna. We're not gonna get into that because, like, and anyway, I can't really talk because I'm a Star Wars fan, and to be honest, they're probably even worse than wrestling fans in some aspects. It's just that it's just that thing of like, look, these are different companies doing different things. Yes, are they competing against each other? I mean, I guess. Yeah. In that they in that in that they are two large companies existing in the same space. Like technically, Coke and Pepsi are competing, mm-hmm. but like also they're just large and established enough that they just don't really have to do anything anymore. Yeah. In that regard, I'm guessing does is Impact still competing with WWE? Is GCW competing with AEW? It's, yeah. It, and then you just say because if that's going to be happening, you then got to factor in everyone. Like at this point, we're just going in more roundabouts than than all those that exist in Milton Keynes. <laughs> nice reference there, Dad. I I appreciate that. <laughs> that's a British reference. Oh man, so oh, but, like like that like that's. 
that's the thing. And again, there's the whole there's the whole discussion about hardcore wrestling and death matches and whatever. And I, to be honest, I don't have the energy for that discussion right now. That I mean, we're we're gonna do a retrospective on Atsushi Onita in the future because that dude is such an interesting dude inside and outside of professional wrestling. Yeah, it's called being a crackhead. Oh, well, that as well, but. <laughs> A man who is, you know, who's taken his political controversy and went, yeah, I did that, and what of it? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a lesson to learn for our UK government. Anyway, <laughs> let us get on to more. <laughs> that was brilliant. That was so yeah. nicely worked. That was a brilliant sequence. Beautiful. Let's get into some of the stuff that happened this week. Um, uh, not much before all, so we're going to skip straight over to NXT 2.0. Uh, we now have the crowning of Brom Breaker as the face of NXT 2.0. He is now champion. Props to him. Really like it. To it was on. inevitable. It was inevitable. <laughs> yep. Giving props actually putting over Champa because I know that there probably would have been a lot of creatives that probably wouldn't have put the old guard over. Um, we had a crowbar on a pole match, quite apropos for who we're talking about this week, as Tony D'Angelo defeated Pete Dunn. We had Boa. Uh, versus Solo Sokoa in a double countout, but then we had Creepy Boa come out and and uh, and, fly, and throw a fireball in Sokoa's face. Expect Boa to be buried by the uh, by the uh, <laughs> by Roman Reigns and the Bloodline <laughs> next week. <laughs> I just love how fucking full circle wrestling comes sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like every so often, someone comes and they're able to throw fireballs. It's brilliant. Yes. Uh, this one was actually a very good fireball, unlike the Randy Orton one, where, you, where it never, it didn't even graze his face, and then he ended up wearing an El Santo mask the next week. Uh, and then we had a really good match with AJ Styles and Grayson Waller. I mean, AJ's just good, so I mean that was a given. But this is a really, really good solid uh, match. They AJ. are one, they are one billion percent going to hot shot Grayson Waller. Oh, absolutely! I mean, putting him in a program with AJ and making him appear on Raw. I think they've got more than enough faith in Grayson Waller. It seems uh, from what from what I've heard about previous reports is that people inside WWE see him as their answer to MJF, which is a statement. That is a statement enough, bloody hell, really? Yeah, jeez, that is a statement enough. Jeez, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, that is an interesting one to think of. I feel like again, as you said, hot shotting that makes a lot of sense now as to why he's been given such a high profile program and is appearing on Raw. They're trying to fast forward it, aren't they? Oh yeah, I mean it's like it's like we've been it's like we've been saying that re- realistically at, at at the current rate, the two people I would bet to beat Roman Reigns are one of Braun Breaker or Carmelo Hayes. Wow, interesting. I mean, Carmelo's been on great form as well. That's not. I, I genuinely think possible. they're the most realistic choices at this point. I don't think there's really anyone on main roster that I would believably think they would put the stock behind. Yeah. I mean, again, my viewing of WWE is relatively limited right now. <laughs> as mine was this week. Hence why I'm going. I'm thinking, can we go straight to AEW? Because I watched both Dynamite mm-hmm. and Ram. Again, not being kind of like a fanboy. It's just that 
AEW is a lot easier to access in this country than WWE is sometimes. I would like yeah. to say to people, remember, we can only be shills if we're getting paid. Exactly. And Tony so, isn't paying us yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if he wants to start paying us, we welcome it. Yes. <laughs> so, really solid dynamite this week. Great opening match of CM Punk versus Wardlow. To uh, Basically, it was the battle to see who could beat whose undefeated record. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wardlow actually having one of the best matches he's had in AEW. Uh, it is in his career so far. Yes, I've even bringing into account that weird MMA match he had with Jake Hager. <laughs> uh, Dante Martin having a really good quick guy versus big hoss match with pa- uh, with powerhouse Hobbs. I enjoyed oh, yeah. that match a lot. Uh, Don- Dante Martin's actually just cracked though. Oh, absolutely! He is—he is—he is a wrestler with using all of the cheat codes, low gravity mode on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. That yeah. is Dante Martin. <laughs> we had um, we had Penta El Zero Miedo uh, facing off against Matt Hardy in a quite solid match, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I liked Penta and Matt Hardy; they do work well together. I thought not the best match they in do. the whole, not on the whole card, but it was definitely a solid match. Um, and then, of course, I'm going to skip straight over to the interim TNT title match. Sammy Guevara defeats Daniel Garcia in 1234. Um, like, okay. First off, I want to say, right, huge props to Daniel Garcia because he's bloody brilliant, right? Yes. But <laughs> the whole thing of uh, uh, having an interim title match for a guy who's out for like, what, two weeks? Yeah. <laughs> Is the is the to me just Max is the most Cody Rhodes thing? Yeah, to me this is why I was like, you know what? I'm kind of actually happy that Garcia didn't win this because if you're gonna give him a championship, just give him the full on TNT title. I mean, there's a lot of people that said we all wanted to see Daniel Garcia win, and I think that was the general consensus going into this, but. Um, I'm kind of glad that it was the case because it kind of gives him, it keeps him away. I'm going to say it, it kind of keeps him away from the smell of the interim TNT, this whole interim TNT thing and this whole thing with Cody and Sammy. It keeps him away from that for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, and are we going to get Chris Jericho versus Eddie Kingston? Which, by the way, I think Eddie Kingston will bring out, uh, like, I will probably give Chris Jericho one of his be- better matches in AEW if that's the case. Yeah, I would agree with that, definitely. Um, but no, I feel like this whole this this TNT title thing is a bit weird, if you ask me. Um, but Daniel Garcia, once it's all said done, I think he's going to be next TNT champion. Probably. It's it. I mean, it looks like he's going to be. And and for the people who say his mic work is no good, I'll say this: it's a lot more polished than you'd actually think it is. He's a lot better than most of his contemporaries, if you ask me. And here's the thing, and it's something I tweeted earlier. We're seeing one of the best wrestlers in the world, and he isn't even in his final form yet. Well, I was going to say, because Daniel Garcia is, like, what, the same age as me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, what? He's four... He's four years into his career. He's only <laughs> getting better. He will only get better. Trust me. Um, yeah. Rampage was also really good as well. Uh, Adam Cole had I a mean, great... I've only seen half of it, but... <laughs> Adam Cole had a really good match with Trent Barretta. Mm-hmm. 
we saw seven foot four Andrew Everett get squashed by Sean Spears, which I feel was no, an absolute I was, crime. I was pissed. I was very pissed at that. But Sean Spears did do a good promo against Punk. Give him props to that. He did. I mean, when he's given some, when he's given, when he's given an inch, I think Sean Spears has always been a guy that always takes it and runs with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, in time, he's kind of had to, but... Yeah, but that, yeah, that is true. Uh, so, a very good Rampage, you know, even though if I was upset with uh, with the result. Um, Dan, have you seen DPW you already know? I haven't had the chance to yet. From what I've while heard... I, while, it... I, while I do love the... the uh, I do love the DPW boys, but man, the the uh, the price on the on-demand service is holding me up. <laughs> yeah, I will say because I'm I'm a little bit out of uh, out of well, I'm not making as much money as I would like to to be able to have that for the disposable income. From what I've yeah. heard, though, really solid first pay-per-view for them. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've heard, the the main event was great. The match, the, the Kid Bandit and Ho Ho Loon match lived up to everyone's expectations. That's what I mean. And Colby Carino had a really good match as well. <laughs> he did. He a did, very apparently. good hardcore match. Um, also, yeah, uh, uh, you and Rio also had a very good match as well. Yes. It's the first time they've met as well, I believe. And especially on North American soil. I mean, so what? It was used first match in America in what, three years? Yeah. Crazy. Um, but apart from that, and of course we had Volta's um, last match in NXT UK mm-hmm. with uh, Nathan Fraser, who I get the feeling if they uh, with that match in particular and the way it went, even though he didn't win, I get the feeling that they they're going to strap the rocket to Nathan Fraser. Well, they, they, what, <clears throat> in the most WWE way, they basically saw that and went, that's a bit like when we had Volta versus Tyler Bate. Yeah. And so we're just going to do that again. <laughs> Except this guy was trained by Seth Rollins, so we definitely know he's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, just, I just get the feeling they're just going to run back exactly what they did again. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of Volta's chances now that he's now kind of transitioning from uh, NXT UK and wherever he goes? Well, it depends because obviously he did the whole thing of his appearance in WXW, which was like two, three weeks ago now. Yes. Um, and so obviously, given the whole prior situation where he wasn't interested at all in going in moving. Um, because of his partner at the time who was like, no, I want to stay in Europe. Mm. But now they're not together or anything with someone else, or I don't know what the situation is exactly. From what I've heard, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I've heard he, they're, him and Ginny are now an item. Yeah. Uh, forgive me if but, I'm wrong on that. Like, if that, if that changes his thing on moving to the US, then, I mean, I guess there's potential for him to move move up and on from there. Hmm. Um, uh, or whether or not he still sees himself having a space in the company. All I'm hoping is if he goes to the main roster, I really hope that Vince doesn't discover his time in Japan as Gacha Ping. 
I mean, because look, right? It's the thing I said about it's the, it, it, it's the thing I said about the NXT UK matches, mm. which is that they kind of I don't feel like they could have happened anywhere else in the company. Yeah. Like, uh, obviously, like Triple H is NXT. Fine. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think we're having Volta versus Dragonov two on NXT two point Yeah. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, I, I mean, like, there's, there's, there's potential for it. Yeah. In, I guess, I guess there's potential for it in main roster, but again, it's not that that scares me. It's it's booking. <laughs> hmm I mean, where do where do you see him, Ridden? In all honesty. God, who knows. <laughs> real talk it could be anywhere in the booking especially right now uh, it's the beginning of the year plans are definitely not like set in stone at all it's a weird I mean we could we could say it as outside charts he's at the rumble I get the feeling yeah yeah that's actually but after that I mean the only thing I would probably say for someone like Volta you put him in the upper mid card to the main event if you're going to put him in the main roster. Because I don't see anywhere else you could possibly put him. If no. you're going to do the whole... My worry with Volta is they put him on the main roster. Is he going to do the squash match uh, yeah. for months? Yeah. The, the only, yeah, the only way I could see that is like... I, 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 see, I see someone feeding him to Brock or Roman... And that's the worry. That's the big worry that they'll put him in the squash match loop, and then they'll put him against Brock and Roman. And uh, you need a big guy. Survivor Series 2009. Yep. 2019. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, that's like the that's the natural fear. My 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 real fear is that they do the whole like Volta's debuted. Now watch him have some matches. But go like you know like five minutes max, and then they're like, okay, now it comes to pay view and he's got to do twenty minutes. Uh-huh. But no one actually has like a chance to establish anything. Yeah, everything just kind of happens. And I know what people are saying about uh, WWE's improved this product in recent weeks and stuff. And yeah, I think for the most part it generally has. Uh-huh. But also, you know, we are looking at a vastly different company to two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, all of the, you know, the aspects of where they are with Brock and Roman now. Mm. I just... It's hard to tell where their priorities are. Yeah. Especially when the uncertainty of people's jobs there, it's like, well, that's all just running in the background, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, well, what we had last week, we don't really want anymore this week, and what we had this week, we don't really want next week. <laughs> it's, wait, we have an NXT UK. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man, it's again, it is one of those weird ones where it's just trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Um. But interesting, to, but interesting to see where everything goes. 
Is there anything else? Actually, no, there is one thing I do want to talk about. Something that was brought to light uh, yesterday. Uh, John, it's looking like John Moxley is going to be coming back, but not to AEW for his return match. I know, GCW oh. against Homicide. At the Hammerstein Ballroom, which honestly, uh, right, if that is, I mean, honestly, I can't think of a more better return for Mox, if I'm honest. It's appropriate. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing this it's either one of two things. Either um, he's going to make a surprise appearance at a, a, a Dynamite maybe this week. Mm-hmm. Or he is. This is a way of being able to have a really good match with Homicide. Have um have him give the or drop the title to Homicide and have a little bit more time in rehab. Um, either way, I'm excited to see Mox back. I really hope he does. He he's been doing well this entire mm-hmm. time, and I hope he comes back all guns blazing for this match. I hope so too. Um. Apart from that, though, Dan, do we have anything else in the news that you wanted to go over? No, we are done with the news. Lovely jubbly. Reardon, we have a recommendation corner, do we? Do we have one this week? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Guys, how do you feel about the Rock Hall of Fame? Hmm. Mixed. Yeah, mixed. <laughs> mixed. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mixed. Well, boy, do I have a podcast for you. <laughs> During... I have been binging through who cares about the rock hall which is a podcast and I, i'm quoting here a podcast about the rock hall rock and roll hall of fame hosted by comedians joe quazala I, I might be butchering that pronunciation and kirsten student so um joe is a lifelong obsessive from childhood about the the rock and roll hall of fame and Kristen is not and they have various guests come on to talk about to talk about it various people that are that are getting like inducted how the inductions mm-hmm. work who who absolutely should be in there it's actually really fascinating as this mm-hmm. as the rock and roll hall of fame is this very odd institution for a number of reasons i'm sure we can we could easily get into (laughs) but just hearing them talk about it and really thinking about like what could to what constitutes an artist of merit has been really interesting for me and it's also a really fun and funny little little podcast so that is my recommendation it's really good good recommendation i'm gonna go i'm gonna take a listen to that for sure uh because i've got i've got time next week for sure with work and stuff so i'll give that a listen um can i just make a recommendation for joseph monticilio's 2021 retrospective video oh absolutely because that was a lot of uh it's been a as i said it's been a very long week and that was the the end of uh my week and i'm glad that it has gone down so well thus far, and a lot of people seem to enjoy it. Joseph was really, really hyped for some of the stuff I'd done there. So, no, go check out his 2021 retrospective. A lot of nicer, uh, couple of hot takes there, but it's very obvious what the, what is number one <laughs> in both matches and wrestler of the year. <laughs> Even if you look at the thumbnail, it's a dead giveaway. So, no, check that out. Alrighty then. With all of that being said and done, it is time to talk. About the man, the myth, the legend, Vince Russo. <laughs> that's a that's a term. 
<laughs> all right, it is our Vince Russo retrospective. So, chaps, before I go over a whole history and retrospective on the man, I'm going to go with the first question. We're going to go straight out the gate with it. What are your thoughts on the man? One of the most influential people in modern wrestling history. We're going to get into why that's not often a good thing. <laughs> I was going to say it as, um, how do, how do I how do I put this in the right terms? He is one of the most. so many ways isn't there (laughs) one of the one of the most distinctive figures in wrestling for better or for worse (laughs) yes Yes. i definitely one of the one of definitely one of the most creative people in professional wrestling but if you ask me was heavily reliant on one specific form of writing I'll get over why I'll get into why that is that has become that was that was a blessing and in the future was a bit of a curse for Vince Russo (laughs) as we go along with this so chaps shall we begin please okay born in Long Island New York in January 24th 1961 Vince Russo uh was pretty much a big wrestling fan as a child uh, in growing up throughout New York. He attended the University of Southern Indiana, then known as Indiana State University Evansville, in 1983 with a degree in journalism. During that time, he actually worked for his local school newspaper, uh, first as an assistant sports editor and then became uh, editor-in-chief for that newspaper. Now, Roos, believe, believe it or not, Russo actually got his start in pro wrestling or began dipping his toes in pro wrestling when he actually began training to be a pro wrestler. Wow. Yeah, he, he trained under the uh, under the wrestler Johnny Rods at Gleason's Gym in Brooklyn. Now, if you don't know Johnny Rods, a uh, journeyman wrestler in, from the days of WWF. Uh, back in the uh, in the late 60s and 70s and is kind of a legend in the New York scene. So he began training there, dipped, dipped his toes in and out of that. Uh, but it wasn't until kind of... He kind of fell out of love and realised he probably isn't one for probably taking bumps <laughs> during that time. So did you know, as I was doing my research, after that, there was not much known of Russo, what he did after... He uh, trained to wrestle, but what I do know is that uh, sometime afterwards, he managed two video stores. That actually really tracks. <laughs> it, it makes it makes a ton of sense when you realise where he gets a lot more of his influences from that are kind of very much outside of pro wrestling. Yes. Uh, but he closed them up once Blockbuster became popular and then eventually became became a monopoly in the video rental uh, business so this leads us to Vince Russo's very first little foray into wrestling with his radio show he hosted a local radio show from 1992 to 1993 called Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling <laughs> now this aired 
on Sunday nights on the radio station WGBB in Freeport, New York. Now, this is a very interesting time in Vince's life. Because not only did he fund this with his own money as a little hobby... But this is where we started to get a little bit more of Vince's not only interest, but what he would do to kind of bolster and what he would do to improve professional wrestling and what he would do with storylines. So, as I said, he played the character of Vicious Vincent and had a co-host who was known as the Matt Rat. The what? The Matt Rat. Now, the basic, from what I've heard and from what I've researched on this, this was kind of like Vin, uh, Vince was very much a shock jock DJ uh, during this time. And very much, I guess, this is the, the wrestling equivalent of Howard Stern, if you know what I mean. Uh, during the program, of course, they would talk about what was going on in the world of wrestling. He would, you know, fantasy book his own sort of... Um, uh, uh, Fantasy book his own kind of shows and, and what was going on and cards during the time in wrestling. They would also accept phone calls from listeners just to chat or answer questions. Uh, apparently a thing, uh, a very famous thing during his uh, time in uh, in this show is that if he didn't like the question or comment from the, the person calling in, they would be flushed with the sound clip of a toilet flushing. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So again, very much a shock jock DJ. <laughs> So apparently, uh, there were a lot of prank callers as well, which, uh, which, funnily enough, uh, nearing the end of the program's uh, run, counted for seventy-five percent of the show's show's call-ins. Seventy-five percent, Jesus! All right. Uh, it got to the point where they would they would uh, those that they would go along with it, or then they would hang up the callers. And then it got to the point where Vince just sighed. Like, you could hear a very audible sigh <laughs> from Vince Bruce. Yes. So this show only went on for one year, from, 90, as I said, from 92 to 93. Uh, and, the end, and the show ended uh, on its one-year anniversary. But it was through this radio show that Vince Russo came to the attention of the World Wrestling Federation. Under the pseudonym and pen name of Vic Venom, Vince was given a freelance writer's role for the WWF magazine. How, how 90s is Vic Venom? <laughs> it's really 90s. That is like, if, if it wasn't Vicious Vincent, Vic Venom definitely would have been his DJ name. Yeah, that's a real DJ name right there. Now, would you believe he he got that after garnering the attention of WW of the WWF, but also a handwritten letter to Linda McMahon. Handwritten. Yeah. Now, okay. Uh, why? Do we know why? Not from what I've gathered, I can't get a, a like a tangible reason as to why. I don't know if Vince. It's most likely that Vince has brought it up on an episode of his podcast. But I guess from what I can gauge, I mean, you know, if he was garnering interest from the radio show from the company, I guess what better way to do it than just go straight to the CEO with the letter of like, "Do you have a job then? If yeah. you're getting interest from me." Yeah, you know what's very interesting about his story so far. And we'll probably get into it. There is this common, like, 
common knowledge, finger quotes, that Vince Russo is a guy who came in who didn't like wrestling. Mm. Which, as which, as per like you just the, a basic look of his background is not true at all. No, no. I mean, this is a guy that was in that you know was born and raised in New York, so there was probably a high likely chance that he really liked wrestling. Yeah. So I, I do find that very interesting and kind of like it. Kind of, I really want to know what the um, what the where the line goes from there because I'm, because it sounds like we're not going to know too much about his like his artistic development if <laughs> if, if, if we put it that way. No, but no. I really do want to see like what is like maybe God maybe I should have like listened to his podcast or something and just find out where he's coming from with all of this shit. Mm. It'll be, I, I was going to say, once we get to uh, the Attitude Era, I think a lot starts to come to light of where he was coming from in terms yes. of his creative. But no, uh, he would, very quickly, uh, from about 93 and about, I'd say, several months after, he went from being a freelance writer to becoming the editor of WWF magazine. Well, that's a transition. And it, that is. apparently was garnering a lot of popularity, not only with the magazine, but was garnering a lot of interest from Vince McMahon. Because mm. uh, especially during this time when he was editor, he was, again, doing the exact same thing he was doing on his radio show, fantasy booking cards and where, you know, the product is. This, again, you got to remember, 94 is the new generation, and this is at the doldrums of WWF's um, popularity. It's only going more downhill as we go as we go as we get into the, like the mid to late nineties. Um, so, with all of that being said, he was eventually scouted or called to a meeting with Vince in ninety six, and was told that he's now going to be part of the creative team. Now, this is the creative team at that time was being headed by Vince, Jim Ross, Pat Patterson, and Jim Cornette. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. We'll get we'll get to them, them too. <laughs> we'll yes. That entails soon. Yes. <laughs> so for '96, Monday Night Raw was at an all-time low. Apparently, the lowest rating they had during this time was 1.8, and this was, of course, '96 was the time when Monday Nitro was only going up and up. Of course, with the introduction of the New World Order. <coughs> McMahon knew, apparently from what I've heard, he needed a change, called upon Russo to make changes to the product, and that's why he was part of the creative team. This is, of course, where we get Vince Russo and what was the most popular thing in the mid to late 90s? The Jerry Springer Show. Yep. And this is where Vince Russo decided to take the crash television the car crash television, as it was described, of Jerry Springer, and to see if he can interwove it into professional wrestling. And here is where we get the very start of the Attitude Era. Eventually, slowly and ever so surely, during 96 and 97, Vince started to kind of pepper in a little bit of controversial, kind of like on-the-knuckle um, content. So, some, like, little edgy, controversial stories, a little bit of sexual content, a lot more of profanity, some kind of really unexpected kind of whiplashed heel turns, swerves, work shoots also became a thing during Vince's time as mm -hmm. part of the creative team. 
the level of violence was also brought up exponentially during this time as well. And this, of course, is the start of the car crash television for WWF. And in 1997, through this and through seemingly all the popularity and the viewership going up and up, Vince Russo became the head writer for the WWF and was the sole person, along with the creative team, to write weekly Raw is War, as well as their monthly pay-per-views. So, this is where we get the whole uh, Vince Russo was probably the sole reason as to why the Attitude Era became the thing it is. And I I take a little bit of umbrage with that, because I feel like it wasn't just Vince Russo, it's a combination of, okay, the creative team there, but of course you have the talent you had at that time, which was probably the, the the best that you could have possibly have had it. I mean, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin for crying out loud. I mean, you had Shawn Michaels, you had D-Generation X, you had Undertaker, you had The Rock coming up. I mean, you had that. I mean, you have, of course, you said the popularity of television at the time. A lot of factors. I wouldn't say you could put you could you you could just pin the attitude error on one person. And I know like the story of what the people like to say, the fable of what certain people like to say is that Vince Russo is the sole reason why the attitude error became what it was. Yeah, it's I would not... argue again that the attitude error is a product of its time. Yes, yes. very the, much. The, so. the main the main driving force behind it would have been the the late the late nineties counterculture revolution, I guess, if you want to call it that. Some people argue and so argue it was just across the whole nineties. Hmm. Basically, that point after, like, I would say nineteen ninety five, where basically the cool thing became not being the cool thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like a lot of his um. Because again, right we. I don't think this is our space to really have the time to talk about the inherent issues that come with car crash TV. Yes. Yeah. Especially namely, for... produ- namely productions like the Jerry Springer show or for those in the UK over here, the Jeremy Kyle show. Yeah. I guess I... Because I mean... there, there's, just, there's just a whole host of things you need to unpack with that. Yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> Ain't it kind of funny... With that all being said, that Jerry Springer has now shown up every so often in w- on WWE programming. <laughs> but no, it's so much of the Attitude Era was just the zeitgeist of the 90s. Yes. Yeah. For, for sure. For sure. So, in late 1998, well, not late 1998, I should say early 1998, as a matter of fact, it's the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Ed Ferrara would join the creative team and was paired with Russo. And this would become uh, quite an infamous writing duo, Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo would be. Would be. And through those two, oh gosh, right, <laughs> more, I guess you could say, controversial characters and storylines would come through in this time. Yes, Beaver Cleavage. Fucking was hell. Thing. Choppy yeah. Choppy Pee Pee. And of course, the introduction. Oh, choppy, choppy, his peepee. Yes, we have Val Venus, oh, of course, in the extension of that. Val Venus, the wrestling adult actor. The Godfather, which apparently, from what I've heard, was actually more Charles Wright's idea than it was Russo's idea. See, but like, the thing is, right, in, in principle, I don't really see anything too 
how, again, how do I say this tactfully? <laughs> like, the concept of them selling Val Venus as, like, he's a wrestler that's an adult actor, I don't think is the most far-off concept. Mm. It just it probably wouldn't have been allowed on TV. Mm. We also had The Undertaker um, performing a... <laughs> I, I, are we going to say a blood sacrifice to to Midian and try to marry yes. Sarah Stephanie? <laughs> yes, that's that's again pretty much that was cool. a thing that happened. We also yes. had Sable as well. Uh, I'm just saying Sable in general because there are a lot of yes. a lot of um, questionable things about the depiction of women during that time that could definitely was oh. most of it was Sable. Jerry Lawler <laughs> being just ever Jerry Lawler horny, <clears throat> and of course. Let us not forget, of course, probably one of Vince Russo's most infamous things that he booked, the Brawl for All Tournament. One of the things that he is on record as regretting and considering all the stuff that he's ever done. Okay, right. Let me just say this, because it was a conversation I had with my friends, like, literally last week. Okay. So... I understand the concept of what they were trying to do with the rule for all. <laughs> but one of my favorite things about it is they were like, well, all our plans went wrong when the wrong people won. So consider the following. <laughs> Why not just make it a fucking work? Because <laughs> they went through the whole thing and they're like, well, we really wanted Dr. Death and Dan Seven. So just do just it, man. make it, just That's... make them work matches. No one needs to know. Uh, I feel like you, something... You, I... you, you've made work shoots like your thing. Yeah. Just just do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you don't end up in a situation where you're there and you, all of a sudden somehow Bart Gunn has got to the final and won it. And you're stuck there going, well, shit, he wasn't the person we were going to have to put in the position for the reward. Uh, fucking, we'll just send them out to murder. Yeah. Because <laughs> yep, who did it? What happened? There was no push, and he got fed to Butterbean in the next WrestleMania. <laughs> um, that all being said, though, Vince Russo. With all that being said, he. What I'll say about this time is that Vince Russo, when he missed, he really missed. Oh, absolutely! But he did contribute a lot to their hits. That being the Generation X, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon, which was the feud of that time. We mm-hmm. had The Rock increasing ever so much in popularity, being the people's champion. I think without without the contributions of the creative team and Russo being there, I don't think Mick Foley would ever have become WWF champion. No. Um, I think I think I think Mick Foley would have been WWF champion, but I think that during that time, I think a lot of that might have to do with creative as well as well mankind risking his life and body during uh, King of the yeah. Ring '98. Yes. Uh, I, mean, I think that made him become the most endearing baby face the company had ever had. Uh, of course, we had the Undertaker versus Kane feud as well. So again, when he misses, he missed a lot, but when he hits. He did hit it out of the park. <laughs> a complicated position. A very complicated position for sure. <laughs> um, of course, all of that being said, there is also a lot of 
again, with the misses, there are a lot of misses as well. There's one I haven't really brought up because I really, it's an upsetting thing to talk about. And sometimes I do find myself even being a little bit angry about it. And that's the whole situation with Owen Hart back in 1999 uh, mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. i don't want to bring that up because it's been documented well enough and as i said i'd get way too upset talking about it because there are a lot of factors a lot of factors and a lot of people that are to blame for that situation happening oh yeah yeah and i know a lot of people again uh there have been again certain people that do not like him will put the finger of blame onto vince uh, vince russo but I feel that it's it's not solely his fault. It's solely his. It's 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 the fault of I think everybody and certain yeah. people as well, including mm-hmm. not until the rigging company and the health and safety people as well. But I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I'd rather not, because I said I'd get quite upset talking about that. Any anyway, with all of that being said, Vince Russo becoming the head writer their popularity skyrockets and they absolutely trounced WCW in the ratings in 1998 and 1999. Yes, they do. But it all comes crashing down just as fast, may I add, for Vince. (laughs) As in October of 1999, Vinco was replaced by Chris Kreschke as the WWF head writer and soon after... Vince departed the company. Now, apparently a lot of things might have, like, a lot of things might have contributed to that. His his reasoning, he's gone on record as saying, uh, Russo's uh, reasoning, was that uh, an altercation happened between him and Vince that arose uh, out of a complaint of uh, Vince regarding his workload. Apparently, with SmackDown just being introduced as a show, uh, Russo wasn't happy about having to write two more hours of wrestling. And he... Fair credit where he is, he wanted to spend more time with his family, especially in the light that he'd been feeling overworked, was feeling really jaded and burned out by working with the creative team for a very long time. Uh, Apparently, according to Russo... Uh, Vince told him to simply go hire a nanny, and that resulted in the altercation. Yeah, that's pretty much what I expect of Vince. Yeah, that, yeah. So, with that, Vince was like, I'm out of here. See ya. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) And so, pretty soon after, actually, uh, as a matter of fact, it was uh, right at the beginning of October. Like, literally not even a few days after that, when he left, uh, huh. Russo and his partner, Ed Ferrara, signed with WCW. So, their, mo- their, or I say, their, their reasoning to coming in and to trying to change up the product and get it, you know, back to its uh, ratings with WWF or equaling them, is to employ the same tactic that they did with WWF. And that's bring in Crash Car or Car Crash TV to Monday Nitro. Only at an incredibly accelerated pace, even more soapy storylines, <laughs> and even more non-wrestling segments. I don't, like I wanna be there and say like the more things change, the more they stay the same, but this isn't even things changing. This is just the same thing happening over and over. Now yeah. here's the thing. I can kind 
of makes sense as to why Russo and Ferrara would do this. Because it's like, oh, well, it worked so well over here. I'm sure it'll be able to adopt really well over here. But here's the thing. WCW is, is was even at that time, well, throughout the whole time, WCW is such a different beast to the WWF. Yeah. You got yeah. New York versus Southern style wrestling. It's never going to work. It could never, like, it was doomed to fail on arrival if they were going <clears> to <throat> go by that, um, by that logic. But this is an in, in an interesting turn. Vince decided to become a more of an on-screen character. And this is where we get the the character known as the powers that be, an off-screen voice authority figure of WCW that was in no way whatsoever a parody of Vince McMahon. Okay. I don't know what would ever give you that impression. <laughs> so, so Vince Russo putting himself giving himself the spotlight was the worst mistake he ever made, right? I would say so. As we get into 2000, I'd definitely say so. <laughs> it, it's, again, it's that thing of sometimes too much power is a bad thing. <laughs> yes. Like a really bad thing. <laughs> <sighs> it's... Again, I mean, as I said, it made it more obvious. Uh, the powers that be had two bodyguards named uh, named Gerald and Patrick. Of course, oh, you know the I Stooges. I wonder who that could be in reference to. Say, oh. Vince had, of course, had two Stooges known as Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson. <laughs> Just yeah, are we so? Should we talk about the like? Is this is the era right where we can really talk about Vince Russo's? philosophy on wrestling for a lack of a better term. I mean, yeah, we can talk about it. (laughs) I think it's the perfect time to talk about it. Because Vince Russo has essentially two, two, maybe three philosophies on it. One is obviously Car Crash TV. The other is is a, a general hatred of the concept of good guys and bad guys. <laughs> See, it, it's the thing um, I think a lot of... Well, so I'm, I'm approaching this from my perspective, right? Which is mm. that uh, I read a lot of uh, sci-fi fiction, mm. right? Lots of like dystopian fiction as well. And the problem is, right, is that there's so many times where when people try and go for realism they think that means it's like oh no one it they, they treat it in the thing of like oh well yeah are they actually good or are they not and mm. i'm like look i'll just be honest that's just not how things work <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely. and I, I really think it is one of those things of like again as a said before wrestling yeah. is really its own mm. and like bro, don't like don't get me wrong i'm here for like the concept of more nuanced wrestling mm. uh, you know as in as in like moving beyond like the whole face heel thing right yeah just understanding people as fluid beings and that things change mm-hmm because like again i think i think like the whole face heel thing is actually honestly outdated but 
yeah mm. but right but 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 the lens of the, but the lens that you do that through is not <laughs> reality tv <laughs> and this yeah. is again this is where i think we get to one of the most really kind of like odd things that he did that he and ferrera did during this time swerves and like swerves and shock chart changes were always the thing that vince really liked doing alongside tournaments during his time in the wwf but because of this such accelerated pace they became such commonplace that it got ridiculous to a point and as well and then this is when he started bringing more insider terms into television so he would treating them as a shoot and he would give the commentators things, you know, calling them, calling like, oh, you know, oh, this will be one for the marks on the internet to, you know, really gush over. Uh, oh, he's shooting him, brother. Uh, he would give them, the commentators, those terms. And it really, I guess, it made it even more kind of, even more hard to kind of get used to, I'd say yeah. is the word. Yeah, it's a very, like, it's weird how postmodern Vince Russo is is a sentence I never thought I'd say in my yeah, life. Yeah, I don't know, no, but you're not wrong it's though. True. No, exactly. It's true. He, like, because the concept, like, Vince Russo is a firm believer that one, not only is kayfabe dead, but everyone in the audience knows these terms and knows these, and knows the insiders. Inside it's like, it, it, stuff. It, it's like, I, I guess I guess I would say it's less breaking the fourth wall and literally atomizing it. Yeah, yeah. there is no fourth wall. We're going Brechtian, baby. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say it's, it's like it's like uh, the audience are a character in a play that are aware they are in a play. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it, it gets so and you know in some ways I'd actually argue that Vince Russo was ahead of his time in a slight way mm. because it becomes this thing where like you remember this is like the internet as a body like is 19 around 1997 to 99 is the time where like the internet becomes like goes mainstream right yeah like like the, like the internet is becoming yeah a a commonplace thing that people know about, even if they're maybe not still not actually using it daily. It is yeah, coming into daily life. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we could talk a lot about how that has affected wrestling, <laughs> wrestling yes. fans, wrestling fandom specifically. A lot of it bad. But <laughs> one thing, but one thing, like cannot be denied is like the concept of insider knowledge and actual like insider terms is a lot more prominent now than it was when Vince Russo was at his heyday. So I think he, he I think he, like, at best, he, I think, underestimate or overestimated just how many people knew all of this stuff. Yeah. And it became a huge, huge problem. He opened the door for the floodgates of smoke. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think there's a, I really do think there's like, there's a case to be made for that, mm, which I yeah. think is one of the things that make Vince Russo so fascinating for me and probably why, you know, Jim Cornette hates him so much. <laughs> it's this democratization of knowledge 
for better or fucking worse. Well, no, because it, it but it, 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 again, it speaks to the whole thing about like the people, you know, like all, all the promoters back in like the seventies and eighties being so pissy about who was going to their shows because it would be like, Oh, they're actually a writer. And you know, they're, they're peeling back the curtain. Mm. But like, then we're talking about this, but on like an even bigger scale. Yeah. Yeah. And like, obviously part of it comes down to the whole thing we said before about wrestling being an absurdly insular industry. Yes. For, I mean, basically 90% of its lifetime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, all of it existing within these barriers and confines. Exactly. That actually now, it's like, you instead of having that kind of illusion maintained, it's just fucking Vince Russo rolling in going, everything you know is fake and I'm here to tell you about it. <laughs> Yeah, but sure. also, but also care about it, which yes, mm. which I don't think you could have your cake and eat it with that regard. I mean, if you uh, if you were expecting that to make it like people care, doing that, it I, I, uh, it was probably not going to work out. It was probably no. never going to be for the best. So, two things I want to bring up before we talk about the year two thousand. Of course. With his, with his car crash TV philosophy and going at an accelerated pace during this time, he really heavily relied on creating the shock title change. And as a matter of fact, I'll bring up a great example of this. Late 99, Jushin Thunder Liger lost and regained the IWGP Heavyweight Championship on Nitro. Uh, he lost the title to Juventud Guerrera after being over, hit over the head with a tequila bottle. Because, of course... He's Mexican. Uh, yes. Now, believe it or not, Liger wins the title again, but this is not recognised by New Japan because it's fucking stupid. <laughs> I fucking wonder why. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm putting words in New Japan's mouth, but it's fucking stupid. Uh, I imagine, that, like, kind of approximately the time this ha- was happening, just like... All these decisions have been made in WCW, and eventually it just gets back to Anoki, and he's just sitting in his chair and just puts his hands into his head. <laughs> there and it's just go. like, what? What are they doing with my child? <laughs> but the reason I bring this up as well is I want to talk a little bit about uh, one of Vince Russo's um, less popular things that he completely, uh, dis- well, kind of. Pr- completely mocked the cruiserweight division during this time now one of the things that really really was a tentpole in wcw's popularity was the cruiserweight division and when vince came in he argued that it would be difficult if not impossible to try and get them over with fans especially the foreign cruiserweights if they couldn't speak english or couldn't speak enough to do a promo now, now what was consider, his... the, consider the following, though, right? Mm-hmm. They're just people who do cool shit. Let's, I mean, let's fast forward to Rey Mysterio in 2002, and he ended up quickly becoming one of the most popular wrestlers on SmackDown. Let's 
let's not even, let's just let's just time warp back because right by this point we're in what 99 late 1999 we're in late 1999 yeah uh ray mysterio versus <laughs> halloween havoc 97 has already happened and the american wrestling scene has absolutely pissed themselves at the sight of it <laughs> yes so with that being said and what he argued what was vince russo's uh, what was vince russo's solution some of the wrestlers, such as Kaz Hayashi and La Parker, would do promos in their native language. And Vince thought it would be the most amazing funny idea to have comical subtitles be put out into broadcast on the, on the television broadcast, which had nothing to do with what they were saying. Of course, comic relief. What better way to get someone over who, no, you, who from a different country? Do you ever just mock a person's entire language and way of speaking no just him all right of course this isn't even the worst part the worst part is the wcw cruiserweight championship was really devalued during this time as a lot of non-wrestlers were winning the title the most infamous of course being fellow writer his writing partner ed ferrara who at this time was uh, was playing the character of oklahoma a pretty much on offensive parody of jim ross actually so bad that ed ferrara was actually mocking jim ross's bell's palsy like how do you get to that point as a person Hey, how do you get to that point as a person and go, you know what, this is okay. I'm okay with doing this. I, I uh, this one still blows my mind. And I'm, as again, it's like, who's really, is this the idea that you have of trying to stick it to the WWF at this time, Vince? I mean, come on. There's, uh, there's a lot better things to do than that. And Ed, come on, like, like seriously, if you had some any integrity, you wouldn't have put yourself in that position. Or was that another thing with Vince where you just wanted to be a more of an on-camera personality? Mm. Yeah, I don't know, but we're gonna leave it there. We're gonna get kind of cringe. We're gonna get to the year two thousand. So January, Vince Russo receives two telephone calls. One from Brett the Hitman Hart, the then WCW champion. And another from Jeff Jarrett, the then WCW United States champion. Both saying that they were injured and couldn't wrestle and were forced to vacate their respective championships. Now, this, of course, is during the time where Bret Hart, unfortunately, did actually have to retire during because yeah. of a very, <clears throat> very stiff kick that he uh, got um, from Goldberg. Now, this required Russo to really kind of scramble and try to alter the plans that he had uh, in mind for Brett and for the NWO. Uh, so along with his little kind of like cabal of uh, writers or what he's known as the booking committee, they sat down and determined what would happen for that upcoming pay-per-view sold out. One of Vince's ideas, and I shit you not, was putting the vacated WCW title on Shoot Fighter and former UFC fighter Tank Abbott. Okay. Now, this, apparently, was an attempt to do something believable. The idea was originally to have a rumble match, like a like an over-the-top rumble match, which Sid, 
would be an early entrant in there and would last all the way to the end when Tank Abbott would become would be the final person to come out of the match and eliminate him with just one punch. <laughs> now, Russo stated uh, during this that Abbott might not have the title for more than 24 hours if this title change actually had happened. But however, the day after he came up with this idea, he was asked to work in a committee... He was he was basically told, right, you are going to write with a creative committee now. You are not yes. going to be the sole... You are going to have you are gonna have people checking what you do. You're no longer going to be the head writer of WCW now. We're going to have a writing committee because of that idea. Rich yeah. so pretty much declined the offer and up sticks and left in January two thousand, with his immediate replacement being Kevin Sullivan, who, along with the other bookers, chose Chris Benoit to win the title from Vicious and about with Arn Anderson as the referee. Now, this was to try and entice Chris to stay with the company because he was too he was already one foot out of the door to the WWF. You know what he did? He was one day his champion. He actually left technically and joined the WWF as WCW champion. What a flex. <laughs> so Russo, despite being, you know, Despite all of this happening, despite being almost universally hated in the back room of WCW, did increase ratings by a full point in the three months that he was there. Gotta say, man, got results at least. One point. Yeah, he, he did, in fact, get results. <laughs> So, three months after, uh, three months after, in March 2000, Sullivan was ultimately relieved of his duties, and uh, lo and behold, Vince Russo returned as head writer alongside the returning Eric Bischoff. Now, the idea for this, for Russo and Bischoff kind of joining uh, together, was that they would reboot WCW into a kind of more modern, streamlined company that would actually allow the younger talent to work with the more established stars. This brings us to the April 10th, 2000 WCW Nitro. Which... Why are they saying that like it's such an alien concept? <laughs> I know. Vince Russo was introduced as the on-screen antagonist authority figure. And this was, of course, the very, uh, very same, I believe, WCW Nitro, where they vacated every yes. single title. Even if you were midway into a storyline, fuck it, we're just going to press the reset button. This always works perfectly in wrestling promotions. This has never failed once. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, from this would uh, would eventually establish the New Blood versus Millionaires Club storyline, which saw the New Blood, uh, like the, all of the younger established stars, going up against the Millionaires Club, which was the team of, if I remember rightly, uh, it was Hogan, Nash, yeah. Flair, mm -hmm. DDP, Sting, uh -huh. Lex Luger, mm -hmm. and Kurt Hennig. And I believe you had, like, I believe it was like you also during that time had. Scott Steiner, Randy Savage, Goldberg, Booker T, they would kind of come in and out every so often. Uh, if you would call them, like, the associates of the Millionaires Club. Yeah. The problem yeah. being with this is that 
the new blood was supposed to be the baby faces of the group and the millionaires club supposed to be the hill group problem there being that is that everyone really liked certain members of the group and suddenly the millionaires club was the were, were the de facto face group yes they'll love it <laughs> like i said this has worked perfectly every single time uh, he also, of course, Vince Russo had a feud as well with Ric Flair, uh, where he and his son, David Flair, were involved in shaving Rick's hair. Mm-hmm. As well as his young son, Reed Flair's hair. Yes. Yes. And, of course, his Vince Russo's feud with Goldberg, which, again, we'll get on to... Um, his eventual at reign, some point his eventual reign as WCW champion yes he but was... put a pin in that good listener yes yes we'll, we'll put a pin in that right we get to the bash at the beach 2000 so let's talk about this is, this. This, is, this is wrestling heritage I don't care so bash at the beach 2000 Hogan was booked to lose a match against WCW champion Jeff Jarrett Hogan said, that's going to not work for me, dude. <laughs> Invoking his contract's creative control clause to override Russo. And of course, Hogan was to, uh, <laughs> was to win the title. So, due to uh, Russo's apparent lack of direction for Hogan's character following this planned loss, that was the reason why he went and said, that's not going to work for me, dude. Yeah. That's not going to work for me, Jack. In the end... Right, Vinso said, fuck this, and was like, alright, I'll book Jarrett to literally lie down for you, Hogan. You put a foot on him, count to three, there you go. We'll win. We'll do it as a worked shoot. And so, after that, of course, Hogan gets on the mic, and with Vince Russo on the ramp, uh, saying, uh, and said to Vince, now this is why the company's in the damn shape it's in, because of bullshit like this. By scoring the pinfall, by placing his foot on Jarrett's chest. Soon after that, after Hogan... You'd think Hogan would love that. (laughs) You'd think, wouldn't you? (laughs) Shortly after that, coming back, Vince Russo would come out later to nullify the match results and publicly fire Hogan. Now, it's debatable as to whether this was a work shoot or if this was just plain old straight shoot from Vince Russo. What is known is I do believe that Hogan sued Russo or sued WCW and there was a court case that was involved. So make it that what you will. Goodness gracious. Uh, This action did restore the title to Jarrett and ended up setting a title match for the main event between Jarrett and Booker T. Of course, this would actually signalise Booker T's very first uh, WCW title win. So, as he promised, that was the last time Hogan ever surfaced in WCW. So, as I said to here, Hogan did file a lawsuit. Apparently, it was for defamation of character. And it was dismissed <laughs> in 2003. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Did, what? Yeah, I was, and this makes it funny. It was dismissed in 2003, stated that the charges filed against Russo were groundless and were just part of a wrestling storyline. Wow. <laughs> Now, it depends on who you talk to and what it's been said in in what book. Hogan claims 
that Russo turned the angle into a shoot and was double-crossed uh, by Turner executives that didn't want to use him anymore. Bischoff states in his book that Hogan winning and leaving was a work, which would result in his return several months later. Um, but Russo apparently, you know, was... It was a straight-up shoot. Like, Vince Russo was pissed. He came out, and he just shot on the dude and fired him publicly. Now... Uh, this also caused a bit of a problem for Hogan's relatives. Hogan's, uh, Horace Hogan, of course everybody knows, but he shortly left the company. But this is apparently a cause, uh, as, like a cause as to why Mike Awesome never really got the push that he kind of deserved and was given the fat chick thriller and that 70s guy, because as many people don't know, Hogan and Awesome are actually kind of like distantly related to one another. Huh. Huh. I think that's like. I never actually knew that. I think it was like two, like twice removed cousin, I believe. But no, Mike Awesome and Hogan are related, which is weird. Which is when you think about it, is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course. And then, of course, we get all the way down to uh, Ready to Rumble. And of course, his booking of David Arquette as WCW champion, which apparently was not his idea but was actually proposed to him by executives of Warner Brothers to generate some uh, press for Ready like, to I Rumble. Get, I get that he's there and goes, it wasn't my idea, but also fundamentally, you still went along with it. Exactly. You could have done so it. So it doesn't remove you of any responsibility at all, being like, well, it wasn't my idea. I'm like, yeah, but you still okayed the idea. <laughs> And so that wouldn't be the most bizarre title change. Oh, no, 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 listener. Because that comes on a certain episode of Monday Nitro. <laughs> the episode from, from the 25th of September 2000. In a cage match against Booker T, Vince Russo <laughs> was going up against Booker for the WCW title. Now, Vince decked out in the best New York Giants American football gear, including the helmet, may I add, Reardon. Goes up against Booker T in one hell of a squash match. Now, this was during Vince Russo's rivalry in a feud with uh, with Goldberg. So Goldberg comes out to beat seven, seven shades of poop out of Vince Russo. Goldberg spears Russo out of the cage. And since Vince Russo did escape, technically, he booked himself as the WCW champion. That is just the most Vince Russo way of getting out of that situation. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, <laughs> so, not much was so. pretty much said about was came to really much of light after that. Pretty much the week after Vince dropped the title, and was very seldom, rarely seen on programming after that. And after the Time Warner buyout, um, uh, oh well, sorry, after Time Warner, you know left WCW and was and the company was bought out by the WWF Russo's contract was bought out and pretty much soon after didn't do much after that it wasn't until 2002 that we would see Vince Russo crop up but not in TNA now he was originally going to be part of what was known as World Wrestling All-Stars, the Australian promotion. Yeah. That thing that we've spoken about before. We have spoken about before indeed. 
But due to kind of things, you know, timing and scheduling, Vince Russo wasn't able to be a part of that. So was given to his protege, Jeremy Borash. (laughs) But would you believe, did you know that Vince Russo in June of 2002 returned to the WWE? I under do. A, I under a second name. <laughs> so, he ended up working as... As a, Bruce Vinso. Bruce Vinso. <laughs> no, he returned as a consultant to actually oversee the direction of Raw and SmackDown. But this tenure was only for two weeks. As he states that uh, there was no way this was actually ever going to work. The main idea that he proposed, right, when he came back, was an entire restart of the WCW invasion. Oh, fucking hell. And he wanted to bring in Goldberg, Scott Steiner, Eric Bischoff, and Bret Hart to front this invasion. Okay, A, the only bit I agree with there is Scott Steiner. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course. Second of all... Vince, you can't just hit the fucking reset button all the time. <laughs> but apparently, after feeling incredibly disrespected by a phone call with Stephanie McMahon, Russo left after two weeks off his own accord. He turned down a $125 pay, uh, per year stay-at-home role in favour of another role and a full-time position he would get in a fledgling company known as NWA... TNA. Now, funny enough, right? This, even though he joined in 2002, Vince Russo, uh, Vince Russo actually proposed the idea to Jeff of calling it TNA. I've brought this mm-hmm. up before because it's a play yeah. on TNA. You know, short for tits and ass, which is such a Vince Russo thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Russo would join the uh, the team and the company as head writer um, and assist in writing in the production of shows. So he debuted on an on-screen role <laughs> as the masked wrestler Mr. Wrestling Free. With this gimmick, he helped Jeff Jarrett win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship from the first time against Ron the Truth Killings. Vince takes off the mask and the famous words of Mike Tanay going, Oh shit! It's Vince Russo! Oh shit indeed. Can I can I just tell you how much I hate the fucking Mr. Wrestling free thing? <laughs> yes, please do. I hate that on a visceral level. Do you know for, really, do you know why I hate Mr. Wrestling Free? <laughs> oh. Because wrestling free is the literal translation in English of fucking lucha libre. Oh boy! But it's a fucking transliteration, so it's the wrong way round. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh man! I hate this so much. <laughs> and this is the most language nerd thing you're ever gonna get on a wrestling show. <laughs> but this is this is awful. I like uh, yeah this is what I mean when I say I don't know how to conceptualize this man (laughs) no and and 
trust me, I feel like when it comes to Vince being in this at this very at like 2002, I'm trying to t- make sense of it myself. So, again, he is now not only creative dude, uh, part of the uh, part of the back uh, booking committee and the creative team. He's now back as an on-screen role, and through that, Russo created his own faction of wrestlers that he dubbed Sports Entertainment <laughs> Extreme Sex. Jesus Christ! Wrestling. So, some members of this fabled faction, known as Sex, included the likes of the former Disco Inferno, Glenn Gilberti. B.G. James, Trinity, Raven, Mike Sanders, who remembers him, David Young, who the hell remembers him, and I'm nothing with that. B.G. James, and Sonny, don't look at my arse, Siaki. Wait, what? What was that last one? Shout out, Sonny Siaki. Sonny Siaki, which, by the way, I definitely feel we could definitely do uh, uh, an episode on Sonny Siaki, because he is such... An incredibly interest had such an incredibly interesting career, and the dude was full of potential. May I? I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not taking the mick out of him. Sonny Siaki had a lot of potential, but it just yeah. felt like he was the, he was the victim of really bad creative and booking. Really bad creative and booking. Because wasn't it where the whole thing where they're basically like, "Hi, you're just a budget version of The Rock." Oh, absolutely, and they actually made him cut promos like The Rock. Oh, now, the reason I say, Sonny, don't look at my arse, Siaki, is not only is that a great reference to Marky D123, yes. Marky D, but also there was a very infamous promo where Sonny Siaki, to, I think it was Goldilocks, said, hey, hey, you better not be looking at my ass. Don't look <laughs> at my ass. Wrestling. Fascinating. So with this, there was a, it was sex versus TNA, which again, I think like it's just like that's that's so Vince Russo. Vince Russo is literally nutting himself right now at those <laughs> words. Yeah. Uh, again, as I said, AJ Styles would eventually become a member of Sex as well. <laughs> but that was eventually uh, that was actually after Vince would leave his on-screen role, and his uh, the leadership of Sex would be uh, would be replaced by uh, Glenn Gilberti. I've really got to say that Gil- Glenn Gilberti was the leader of Sex. Um, <laughs> Words no one has ever said in their lives ever. <laughs> so oh. after that small, although to be fair, you could extend that next to Glenn Gilberti and sex. Yeah, that's very true. No, so after that little brief period, he would return as a character uh, as an on-screen character in uh, May two thousand and three, uh, in a storyline where he'd hit Raven with a baseball bat helping Glenn Gilberti become the number one contender for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. That's a cursed reality, isn't it? So then during the next week, uh, during the match, Gilberti versus Jarrett, Russo would then hit Gilberti with the baseball bat and in turn helps Jarrett, Jarrett retain his belt. The following week, when AJ Styles and Raven fought Jarrett for the world title in a triple threat match, Russo teased hitting Styles with the guitar, with Jarrett's trademark guitar, but would eventually hit Jarrett, leading Styles to win his first NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Now, say what you will, but I will say this. At least he knew that it was probably the right thing to put over AJ Styles. 
But what I, I wanted, yeah. though, but at the same time, like AJ Styles was even at that point was straight up outclassing a lot of people on that roster. But what I will say is, why, why Russo would you book yourself to manage then NWA World Heavyweight Champion AJ Styles? Proximity. <laughs> yep, that's a good so idea. It was pretty soon after this that sex was quietly written out of the story. <laughs> of TNA. In October 2003, Vince Russo would, would you believe, would suffer the first loss of his entire in-ring career in a tag match, pitting him and Styles against Dusty Rhodes and Jeff Jarrett, even though Styles was the one that took the pin. <laughs> it's okay, Dan. It's okay. We're getting to the end. Don't worry. It's almost over. Fuck is this man? <laughs> that's what we're trying. That's what this entire episode is about. Trying I to know. figure out. <laughs> and it was shortly in late October 2003 that Russo would make his final appearance of that year in a street fight against Jeff Jarrett because it was reported that he was written out the out of the company as a result of Hulk Hogan signing and because Hogan reportedly said he would not work for TNA as long as Russo was involved with the company. Now, of course, Hulk yeah, Hogan... Yeah, how'd that go for you, Hulkster? <laughs> of course, Hulk Hogan didn't do the J-O-B to Jeff Jarrett because, of course, when uh, when he had that match against Masachono in New Japan and Jarrett hit him over the head with the guitar in the post-match interview, Hogan was like, that's not going to work for me, dude. And did yeah. not turn up in TNA in 2003. <laughs> Could you imagine no Hulk Hogan in TNA in 2003? Not really. Can you imagine Hulk Hogan, but Hulk Hogan versus Ron the Truth Killings versus like like BG James for the NWA title. That sounds like something XWF would have done. Yeah, <laughs> if, if that was ever picked up. So it would be in February two thousand and four that Vince uh, Vince would eventually return, but strictly as an on air character becoming the director of authority in storylines but this time he booked he was booked as a face claiming to have changed his ways which was apparently was would and very likely was inspired by uh russo's real life conversion to christianity we'll get to that in a moment yeah we'll get to that little tidbit in a moment but he would leave again late 2004 where dusty Rhodes was voted the new director of authority over himself at the Victory Road pay-per-view at that time, in an interactive election on TNA's website. So he was voted out of his role. <laughs> That's got to be the death knell for you, right, though? It has to be, surely. <laughs> so the reason I bring up his Christianity a little bit is during 2004 and 2005, kind of bowing out of wrestling in that part, Vince Russo became a born-again Christian and formed an online Christian ministry. <laughs> I believe, if I remember the right lightly during my work, uh, during kind of like uh, my research, I believe it was called... There he is. He, he formed the, uh, a ministry called Forgiven. Was it with the four? I, I really wish it was, but it... Fortune Forgiven? Wow, that's that's actually really surprising. I was I was a hunt. I thought for sure that it had 
four given, like the number four. Unfortunately not. I don't even think Vince Russo's that punny himself. <laughs> but uh, following his return, he ended up uh, forming an independent promotion titled Ring of Glory, which hosted shows exclusively in churches. Now, this was Vince Russo's way of combining uh, the Bible with professional wrestling and trying to see if you could, you know, spread the word of the of our Lord, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, into sweaty men grappling with one another. Ah, uh, the most Christian industry, professional wrestling. <laughs> now, I do wonder, like, this is the man who a year ago invented sex so i really want to know dna <laughs> i really want to know what the conversations were like there i definitely do <laughs> so would you believe during this time as well and may, may i add in in a place of worship that he did have an he had an antagonist who was basically the devil played by okay. two people in particular the one of them being percy pringle Paul Bearer. But the first one, in a streak of, I think, the best kind of booking decision you could ever make, Father James Mitchell. Okay, that's brilliant. Okay. You know what? You know what? Real talk, that's a that's a legitimately great decision. Like I thought, I thought, look, I, right? look, I'm just gonna enough. I'm just gonna be here and say that Ring of Glory does in fact have a cage match page. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> And I believe they only put on three shows. Three of them, I think all three of them are on DVD, uh, but they are out of print now. And I, what Aww. I will say right now is to anyone in America or anyone who has any sort of way of being able to access them, this is our call to say, could you please, please try and share them with us? We'll be, we'll pay. Oh, I'll say we'll pay. We'll pay all but two pounds to be able to, to ask you to be able to That's watch like, this. It's like four dollars. We are genuinely curious and want to kind of see what these uh, these events were like. Okay, right. So I know you said that uh, they did free events. Cage match only lists two. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I've just seen quite possibly the greatest thing I might have ever experienced in wrestling. Are you ready for this? The Stairway to Heaven four-way ladder match. <laughs> That's, oh By the way, may I, uh, may I just say as well, what was hanging on the top of, uh, at the top of the ring? It was a sword. What? Okay. okay. Fucking... Stairway to Heaven four-way ladder match featuring Sal Renaro, CJ Summers, Air Paris, and your winner, Jimmy Rave. <laughs> God bless you, Jimmy Rave. So, all of that being said, with a little stopgap to form an independent promotion, Vince Russo would return as creative writer in 2006 uh, under the proviso of TNA president Dixie Carter. So, Russo was paired with Dutch Mantel and Jeff Jarrett on the TNA creative team. And, funnily enough, I, this is where we started to see more and more gimmick matches come into the, I guess, to the peak of TNA's popularity. Uh, yeah. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I have, I have breaking news. <laughs> Gosh, what? here we go. I have, 
I have desperately breaking news. So okay. I was just on the page for Ring of Glory, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So obviously, I'm looking at the first one, and I see this thing, right? Joshua the Carpenter defeats Evil, okay? Yes. Now, hey, that was funny to me, because I was like, hey, look at that. New Japan got beaten to the punch. You know this evil person, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the Yeti. Yep, Ron Reese the Yeti. Oh, God. In a painted cane mask, may I add, as well. This is right. This is the lore is running deep. It would be with Vince Russo. I mean, the lore is running so deep right now. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it so. So, as I said, 2006 sees Russo come back to TNA, being paired with Mantel and Jarrett. And this, of course, I said, sees the introduction of more gimmick based matches. As a matter of fact, in 2007's Destination X, during the last rights match with Abyss versus Sting, if you remember that, that was the giant coffin match that, yes. that they would just use and was bloodied up. Audible chants of Fire Russo erupted from the crowd at the, T and, at the Impact Zone in Orlando during and after that match. Uh, yeah. Funny enough, more Russo ch- Fire Russo chants were heard the following month for Lockdown. Now, this, of course, to Lockdown 2007 saw a lot of gimmicked cage matches, including the electrified steel cage match with Team 3D yeah. versus LAX, where, and I shit you not, the way they uh, made, ele- uh, they, 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 you know, gimmicked electricity, the lights would flicker on and off. I mean, in all honesty, there's not a lot you can do to actually gimmick ele- <laughs> electric shocks. Yes, <laughs> Now, you kind of either get them or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you either go one way or you go the Anita way, if you ask me. <laughs> and they yeah, did that it. Is true. Now, apparently, according to Dixie Carter, she noted that this gimmick match was created by Dutch Mantel. However, Mantel has vehemently denied this and said this was unabashedly Vince Russo's idea. Now, this is the same lockdown, may I add, that had the goddamn awful blindfold match between Chris Harris and James Storm. Oh, no. Where the bags, where the blindfolds, I say blindfolds, bags, fell off their heads constantly during the match. Now, 2009 would see Russo actually become the head of creative at TNA. Now, he's gone on record as saying during that time in 2007, he wasn't the head of creative. And when that, um, when he said the idea of the, uh, you know, the lockdown electrified steel cage match was represented to him, there was no way that that could have been done in a believable manner. Um, and he said, and he said, I was often blamed for the ideas that I never came up with. Now, here's the thing, Vince, you could have made that believable or you could have just made it a cage match. You yeah. could have just had the proviso to just go, I feel this is a bit stupid. Let's just make this a cage match. Yes. Uh, it kind of shows his thinking, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. September 2009, Ed Ferrara joins TNA. And oh my God, it's the duo once more. Good. So in October, yeah, 2000, in October 2009, Hogan and Bischoff had signed with TNA and they were paired with Russo, which of course... There's a bit of history with them too, <laughs> considering what happened in Bash of the Beach. Um, 
So, but apparently, when asked about his relationship in a 2010 interview, Hogan had said that he came to TNA in peace, and that the writing staff of Russo, Ed Ferrara, Matt Conway, and Jeremy Borash have really stepped it up, and Hogan loved Russo from a distance. <laughs> Now, according oh. to Russo himself, from a distance. <laughs> according to Russo, the three had met together and worked out their differences. And while working with Russo, Bischoff also stated in the February 2010 interview that it was a very positive experience and that collaborations were very, very productive. Oh, I bet. <laughs> so, in October 2011, Russo had stepped down from the role of uh, contributing writer, with Bruce Pritchard taking over the head writer's role. And it was explained pretty soon after that Russo had mutually parted Rays with TNA in February 2012. But that isn't the last time we would hear from Vince Russo. Oh, no. Now, it was known and very well public knowledge that Spike TV, the TV channel that was hosting TNA Impact at this time, did not like Vince Russo's storylines. <laughs> now... This is, this is where it gets even more juicy. 2013. <laughs> okay. Vince Russo okay. is quietly reintroduced into TNA as a creative. Ah, uh, yes. Brilliant. And during note-taking and uh, coming up with ideas and conceptualizing ideas uh, as a consultant, he <laughs> accidentally sent his notes... Not to TNA commentator Mike Tanay, but to PW Insider's Mike Johnson. Oof. Oh, no. Now, after stating that he wasn't involved with TNA, Vince Russo had to admit on his website that he was working as a consultant for TNA and to work with TNA's commentators. But one of, con one of the conditions for TNA was that Russo was to keep his involvement confidential. Now, <laughs> this was about a bit of a bit of a tricky situation for TNA because they were just about to renegotiate their contract with Spike TV. With Dixie Carter blatantly lying to Spike TV that they were not working with Vince Russo, and light and in light of the story of the story coming out from PW Insider that they were secretly working with Vince Russo, no thanks, see you later, we're not hosting you anymore. TNA had lost imagine, its TV deal with Spike TV. How do you imagine how infamous a reputation you have to have for that to happen? It's incredible. It's an incredible story. <laughs> it's an interesting well, that's for Dev Shop. It's like what if you if if you knew that he was going to do this to your company, why hire why keep him why hire him? And why do it in such a sneaky way? That too. But, oh man. So, it was in 2014, that uh, July 2014, that Russo claimed he was officially done with TNA. After that, he had revealed that he'd been working for them for a whole year. That he'd, only, that he'd been involved in creative meetings and as well as critiquing the episodes of Impact. He, was st he stated that he was getting paid around $3,000 a month to be a consultant with them, but again, money's money and blah, whatever it is. And that was kind of apart from one little time in a company called Aero Lucha, a Nashville, Tennessee-based promotion. Vince Russo pretty much had nothing else to do with wrestling 
as well as a little stint during that time in IPW UK. How do I know this? Because where I live, Vince Russo's face was plastered on posters everywhere, including my local Asda. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vince Russo oh. was booked in my hometown, Reardon. Oh, that that's that's incredible. That is incredible. And as of right now, Vince Russo, as, as we all know, has a very successful podcast. He's made sporadic appearances here and there at Dark Side of the Ring. Of course, talking about the brawl for all, uh, among other things. And as of late 2021, he did try to reach out to Vince McMahon and the WWE. But from what I've heard, they didn't reply back to him. Unsuccessful as yet. So there are, we are with Vince Russo's uh, life and times in the world of professional wrestling. His legacy? What is his legacy in the world of professional wrestling? I mean, it's a fascinating legacy. He, like, you want to know one of the storylines he helped create? Mm. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. Yeah. He helped create arguably the greatest rivalry in wrestling history. And then, and yet his legacy is X on a pole matches. Yeah, there we go. I had to say it before the end. It had to be said. Exactly. It's genuinely that thing of like, he is responsible for both some of the greatest moments and some of the absolute worst. (laughs) And... I'm trying to even find a person that fits a comparison for that, but I don't even know who that is. I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of one, but I will put it this way as my, as my final thought of why I, why I personally find Vince Russo such a fascinating figure. It's that his greatest successes and the absolute, like, lowest of the low failures come from the exact same place. Yes. Like, it's like the exact same place. This isn't like, a writer who who just happens to have like a bad habit. <laughs> this is like you like it's the exact same thing he's doing, and sometimes it works and it and it worked brilliantly, and other times it destroyed things completely and utterly. Mm. He's a man who who really knew the zeitgeist yes. that he came into. He existed in a time period, and for that time period, he was like the perfect being. But outside that time frame, yeah, just... yeah. I'd say, I mean, for Vince, I mean, here's a dude who definitely saw that professional wrestling, especially at that time, as much as he loved it, knew that it was pigeonholed in a certain sort of kind of genre of what it wants, of what it is. And Vince thought, why can't we pick cherry pick some of the stuff that's from outside, from television, from films and movies and radio? And and look what it did for him. It made him work out some of the best storylines possible. But at the same time, Dude was picking from a lot of stuff that was a bit, if you ask me. Oh, absolutely. So the car crash television aspect, it worked at the zeitgeist. But trying to cherry pick that still in 2008, I don't think was ever going to work out well. Because the world was such a different place in 2008. 
a lot changed in 10 years we saw the like internet boom into what it is nowadays uh, of course we became a lot more conscious of people as well and just everything everything about that so I'll give him as I said we'll give him props you gotta give him props for what he did you know as a creative mm-hmm. mind oh yeah and at the you were right reared some of the great storylines and some of the absolute worst it's crazy to think they came from the same guy <laughs> yeah not even just the same guy the same philosophy that's what gets me <laughs> Like the exact same philosophy on how to book a match, how to book a storyline. It's the mm. same thing. Yeah, exactly. Never changed. Say what you will about Vince Russo, he never changed. He was exactly <laughs> the man you thought he'd be, for better or for fucking worse. <laughs> and as I say, you know, this when this comes out, there could be a very likely chance that Vince li- listens to this. And we'll just say this. Vince, if you're listening, one of the one of the most creative dudes in professional wrestling, also maybe a little bit nuts here and there. Yeah. But I was to say, dude, if you ever want to chat nonsense and you want to have a little bit of a, like a, a an interesting perspective into the world, I would. I mean, I wouldn't say no to him peering every so often on this podcast just to get his mind or his perspective. To be honest, I, his, I have always one. I have always wanted an explanation for the honor poll matches. Yes. 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 Even if it's a video, if it's an interview, or if it's just a chat nonsense on an episode like we do we here. We have to send you like £60 of cameo to explain it or it's something, expl- I don't yes. know. Even if it's just a cameo, Vince, I'd be intrigued to have you on, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that is where we're going to wrap up this episode of Vince Russo. Batshit insane, I think, is this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> And I think that's been Vince's career in professional wrestling as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so that has been a lot of fun, chaps. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh, it's been fascinating. What a fascinating man. God. That's all I can say. Fascinating. Okay. So next episode. And I feel this is the best thing we could have done. A great, terrific segue. We've just had the starter. We're now going into the main course, for we are going to do a a <laughs> a show review. It would be a pay per view, but we're going to do we'll, this. Will be a show review of the WCW Nitro from the twenty fifth of September two thousand. Yes, we are going to be reviewing the Nitro where Vince Russo wins the WCW Championship. Here we go. Wrestling. Oh, this is going to be a nice, fun, relaxed one, I say. Well, I say there's going to be a lot of anger towards Booker T and Vince mm-hmm. and that, that match. Like, how? why did Booker T have to do the J-O-B to Vince? Mm. We got Not that. looking forward to that. Not looking forward to it at all. We got that to look forward to next week. But until then, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. And you've been listening to the Sweet Chin Web Podcast. We will see you as ever on the next one. Bro. Bro. Oh.